Well, I spoke and I did, just as God had said. I faced rejection and backlash. And God did not deliver as he has said. And now he's calling for round two. What should I do? Have you experienced similar situation? Do you feel the sentiment? Imagine you brought someone to Christ. You shared with him the gospel and he believed. He turned out to be the eldest son of a devout Hindu family. As a result, he was hunted down by his entire clan. And you too were harassed. Or imagine you encouraged someone into full-time paid ministry. You read the Bible and you worked through with him his God-given gifts. He got convicted and then he went to Bible college. He happened to be the only son of an atheistic business tycoon. His father disowned him and despised you for ruining his family. Were there times in your life, in your Christian life, where you regretted? You regretted saying or doing just as God has told you to. You regretted speaking God's word into this real world and facing the consequence. Look at what I've done. I wish I haven't. In today's passage, we find Moses in a similar kind of situation. In 5.22, we read, Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to these people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh and speak in your name, he has done evil to his people, to these people, and you have not delivered your people at all. As we look through the passage today, we'll ask ourselves this question, what should we do in the face of such situation? But before we dive into chapter 5 and 6, let me recap for you what has been happening in the first four chapters in Exodus. At the same time, you can download the talks as well that's found on the website in the last two weeks. Well, at the very beginning of Exodus, we find the Israelites fruitful and they were multiplying in Egypt, just as God had promised to Abraham in Genesis 12. God's plan to reverse the fall, to restore the broken world through Adam, uh, Abraham's descendants was just going according to plan. But soon we find the Israelites in slavery under Pharaoh under heavy oppression and facing genocide. They cry out to God for help, for it seemed God had forgotten his covenant to Abraham. But we found out that that wasn't true. God heard their cry, God remembered his covenant, God called Moses and revealed to him his plans to save Israel through him. Last week, we saw God preparing Moses to speak to Israel and to Pharaoh. At the end of chapter 4, Moses went back to Egypt with Aaron. And they spoke to the elders of Israel all that God had said and all that God had told him to, that he will rescue them out of Egypt. Israelites believe and they worship God. Today, in chapter 5 and 6, we see Moses and Aaron, having spoken to Israel, now approach Pharaoh to speak to him, just as God has commanded. And from these two chapters, let me show you four things that we can learn about God. First point, 3a. God's plan for his people is for them to speak his word. Right from the start, 
When God appeared to Moses at Mount Horeb that we have seen in chapter 3, God said to Moses in 3.18, You and your elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Notice that God gave Moses the full content of what his message is to Pharaoh. And when Moses refused the role, claiming that he isn't eloquent, remember what God said to him? In 4.12, God said, Who made man's mouth? Was it not I? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth, and teach you what to say. Again, notice that what Moses is to say, God provides. And now in today's passage, in verse 1, we read, Afterward, 5 verse 1, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, What did they say? Thus says the Lord, The God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. In Exodus, God has taken on a huge project, a project to rescue Israel out of slavery in Egypt to worship him. Moses and Aaron has been called to be part of God's project. But what are their roles in this project? Well, they are to be messengers. They are to be mouthpiece of God. And this is why the first two words Aaron and Moses said, as we can see here, is, thus says the Lord God of Israel. Thus says the Lord. When Pharaoh refused to listen and punish the people for it, the people grumbled against Moses and Moses grumbled against God. What did God say to Moses? Chapter 6, verse 6. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out of the under the burdens of Egyptians. Chapter 6, verse 10. The Lord said to Moses, go in and tell Pharaoh the king of Egypt and let the people of Israel go out of his land. 6.29, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord, tell Pharaoh king of Egypt, all that I say to you. The role of Moses in God's salvation project is very clear, isn't it? Just speak God's word. Just say what God tells him to say. You don't have to add anything. You don't have to subtract anything. So friends, I think we learn something here about God. That is, God's plan for his chosen deliverer is for him to speak his word, God's word. We see this pattern in the Old Testament prophets. Again and again we see, thus says the Lord, thus says the Lord, thus says the Lord. And this pattern continues into the New Testament, starting with Jesus, the prophet, the ultimate mouthpiece of God. John 12, let me read to you, Jesus said, John 12, verse 49, I have spoken, I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment. What to say and what to speak. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. These are the very words of Jesus. And the same goes with the apostles. In Matthew 10, Jesus said, You will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious about how you are to speak 
or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. And Paul says this of all Christians to the Christians in 2 Corinthians, which was read to us. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. God making his appeal through us. You see, Christians are a bit like Moses and the Old Testament prophets. We proclaim to the dead world, thus says the Lord, thus says the Lord. That's what we do. For God has commissioned Christians to make his appeal of reconciliation to the world. Two things to say about this statement. Firstly, if you are Christians here today, but many of us are, did you know you were called to be God's ambassadors? Like Moses, you and I speak on God's behalf to this world. And if you do know that, the next question, do you realize the magnitude of this calling? By reconciling us to himself, God has now allowed us to participate in his cosmic reconciliation project, which cost him his own son. That is, Christians are not bystanders who are merely saved and job done. No, God put us to work with him as his co-partners towards a glorious goal. Let this sing in for a while. Paul is saying, Christians are the privileged, chosen channel which God is using to restore this world. God actually entrusts us, you and me, to carry out by the power of the indwelling spirit his work on this earth. God is making his appeal through us, such as us. Secondly, notice that it is God who is making his appeal through us. We are not the origin or the source of the message. In fact, we are not the one who is speaking and making the appeal. No, God is speaking through us. We don't present our own message, but his message, his gospel. He is the one who is making the appeal. But you and I know, don't we? Many Christians, ourselves included, like Moses, are timid. We are timid when it comes to speaking God's word. That is why we can so easily, or at least I can so easily, identify with Moses in the story, in the situation that he found himself in Egypt. Called to speak to the king, an unbelieving king. Have you tried that with Argon? It's crazy. Pharaoh is not going to listen to me. Look at me. I'm not eloquent. I'm slow at speech. I don't even know what to say. That's what Moses said last week. But friends, in Exodus 5 and 6, we see God dealt with Moses' timidity, not by infusing courage into him, but by helping Moses to shift his focus. 
to shift his focus from himself to God and God's message. Timidity in evangelism is not so much a lack of courage, but a misdirection of focus from God to ourselves, a misplace of confidence in ourselves rather than in God. We forget we are merely channels, merely messengers, through whom God makes his appeal, not our appeal. What we need is to be concerned to be what we need is to be concerned less about my skills, my eloquence, my strategy, but simply talk about Jesus, proclaim him, speak God's word. Point two, God is sovereign over the rejection of his word. Moses and Aaron reliably delivered God's word to Pharaoh, as we see in the story. They said to him plainly, Thus says the Lord. And what was Pharaoh's response? 5 verse 2, let's take a look. Pharaoh responded by saying, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Pharaoh is obviously not simply sincerely asking to know gods of Israel. Rather, he is not bothered with him at all. He is basically being sarcastic, being disrespectful to Israel's God. He completely ignored God's word to him. And here we see the very first sign of Pharaoh's hardened heart that we'll be seeing in the coming chapters. Instead of letting Israel go, in chapter 5, verse 9, Pharaoh said, Let heavier work be laid on these men, that they may labor at it, and pay no regard to lying words. Not only did Pharaoh reject God's message, he discredited his message. He says that the message is a lie. Moses is a liar. And doesn't that sound too familiar to those of us who have read Genesis? God's word is a lie, cannot be trusted. In 5 verse 10, So the taskmaster and the foreman of the people went out and said to the people, What did they say this time? Thus says the Lord? No. They say, Thus says Pharaoh. Thus says the Pharaoh, not to the Lord. Pharaoh rejected God and his word and blatantly taking over God now. He has the authority. It is his word that matters. He completely rejected God's word. But are you surprised by Pharaoh's rejection? Most of us probably are not if you have watched Prince of Egypt. But seriously, are you surprised? Are you surprised by the non-receptivity on the part of the hearer? Are you surprised when God's word fall on deaf ears? Are you usually surprised when the hearers not only reject but turn hostile to those who speak God's word? Very hostile, like Pharaoh. Now, do you think God was surprised by Pharaoh's rejection? Will Pharaoh's rejection and hostility hinder God's plan to rescue Israel? Take a look at, let me read to you, chapter 3, verse 19. 3, 19. God said to Moses, Go to the king of Egypt, 
3.19, go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord has met with us. Let us, go to the, let us go to sacrifice to the Lord in the wilderness. But know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. God was not surprised at all. He was sovereign over Pharaoh's rejection of his word. He knew that it would happen. And so was God... No, let me try again. God was sovereign over Pharaoh's rejection of his word. And so was God sovereign over the rejection of the word, the incarnate word. About 700 years before God's only son, Jesus Christ, was rejected and was crucified, God said through the prophets Isaiah, Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And is one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteem him not. That is why after the death and resurrection of Jesus, Apostle Peter could say in Acts 2, this Jesus you crucified, you killed by the hands of lawless men, was delivered according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You see, Christians, Christ's ambassadors, we are people who expect rejection and hostility whenever we proclaim Christ. Listen to what Jesus told his disciples in John 15. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, and I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Words of Jesus. Are you surprised when God's word falls on deaf ears today? Are you surprised when hearers not only reject but turn hostile? Don't be. It should not come as a surprise at all. The gospel message will often fall on deaf ears. It is part and parcel of what it means to bring God's message to a world that does not know Him. This is what Christ's ambassadors are to expect. And we can take comfort knowing that God is sovereign, as we can see in Exodus, even in the rejection of His word. He is in control. Point three. God's sovereignty does not imply immediate deliverance. When God met Moses at Horeb, God said to him in 3 verse 9, Behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I've also seen the oppression. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. God promised to deliver Israelites, but since then, all Moses has seen is Pharaoh flexing his muscles pushing the Israelites into more labor, making them suffer. The suffering of the Israelites came to Moses, and they grumbled against him. So Moses responded to God by saying, chapter 5, verse 22, O Lord, why have, you done this evil to this, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to, his, to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. 
God promised delivery, but Moses had not seen any delivery at all. Friends, there's something here that we can learn about the way that God works that is consistent with the rest of the scripture. Let me show you. Previously, we have seen in chapter 1 and 2 of Exodus that although God seems to be absent, he is not absent. Our present circumstances and our perception of God's absence does not represent reality. Israelites may not feel like God is there, but he is there. It may not look like God is there, but he is there. In reality, every second, God is in control behind the scenes. But here's the lesson. God's sovereignty, his presence, and his faithfulness does not imply immediate deliverance. We have seen this in the early chapters. God promised to deliver, he can deliver, and he will deliver, but it may not be now. Think about this. Genesis 12, one of the pinnacle of the Bible. God made the triumphant announcement to Abraham. Abraham, through your descendants, I'm going to bless the whole earth. There will be more than the sands in the, sea, uh, in the seashore. Ten years on, Abraham was still childless. Ten years. You expect it to happen immediately, isn't it? Genesis 37. God spoke to Joseph in dreams. Joseph, you will reign over your brothers. They will bow before you, like the sun and the moon and the stars bowing before you. What happened next? Joseph was, slow, was sold as a slave to Egypt by his brothers. He was accused of attempting rape and was thrown into a prison. Matthew 3, Jesus was in the river being baptized. A voice came from heaven. Behold, a voice came from heaven. This is my beloved son, with whom I'm well pleased. What happened next? Matthew 27. This is what happened to Jesus. The soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a thorn, a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed on his right hand. They spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. When God did not deliver immediately, when God did not fulfill his promises immediately, it does not imply that God can't and God won't. God's presence was with Jesus more than anyone who have ever come before him. And yet, Jesus' vindication and exaltation was not immediate. Christians are promised that as children of God, you and I, we are heirs of God. We are fellow heirs with Christ. We will one day be glorified with Christ, both you and me as Christians in Malaysia and Christians in Iraq, will be glorified. Not yet, but we will be glorified. It may not be now, but it will happen. Point four. The fourth and the last thing that we can learn about God here from these chapters comes from God's response to Moses' grumbling. 
to God in chapter 6. 6 verse 9. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from the, under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. The God of Israel, the God of Christians, the only God, he is a very persistent and a very determined God. And essentially, he is very faithful to every word that he said. He stubbornly keeps his word. He sticks to his commitment regardless of the circumstances. And you can feel it strongly in these verses that we have just read. From day one, he already said to Moses, I will surely, I have surely seen the affliction of the people. I have heard their cry. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them from the hand of Egyptians right from the start. Despite Moses' many excuses and slowness to believe, despite his and the Israelites' grumblings, where do we find God now? God is still resolved as ever to redeem Israel and take her to be his own people. And friends, this is just a very small foretaste of just how passionately committed God is. In the coming weeks in throughout Exodus, we will see more and more of that, especially after he made the covenant in Mount Sinai. We will see God as one who is tender-hearted and compassionate, loving kindness. He is committed to doing whatever it takes to maintain the relationship between him and his people, including the provision of reconciliation and fellowship, even in the face of Israelites' addiction to sin. He never give up. Let me conclude. I spoke as just, just as God had said. I faced rejection and backlash. God did not deliver as he had said, and now he's calling for round two. What should I do? This I do. Firstly, as a privileged ambassador of God, I will joyfully continue to speak his word faithfully to those around me. Secondly, I may be, I may be saddened, but I will not be surprised by rejection and backlash from a world who do not know him and hostile to him. Thirdly, I will persevere in witnessing amidst rejection and backlash because I'm assured of the day of vindication and glory. And lastly, I will persevere and stay committed to witnessing, remembering God's stubborn commitment to love me even unto death. Let us pray.
Our Father, we thank you that you are a good God. You are a loving God. You are a faithful God. And thank you for showing us, not just in words but in deeds, that you are the kind of God that you have said yourself to be. You are who you will be. As you have shown the Israelites in Exodus. Father, though we are undeserving, Christ has died to wash us clean. He bore the Father's anger, nailed upon the tree. In darkness and in turmoil, judgment fell on him, bringing us forgiveness that new life might begin. You have saved us, Father, and you have called us to be servants of the gospel. Thank you for this great privilege. By your Spirit, help us to carry on Christ's work, that through our prayer and witness, by grace we might win some, and you will be given all the glory and honor. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.